Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy 2.15 and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton. Welcome back. Hope everybody had a, a great 4th of July uh, weekend. I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. And today, we'll um, open up with prayer. And David, could you lead us in prayer today? Father God, thank you for this time that we have. We thank you for this forum to teach the Bible. We pray, Lord, that the scriptures will be taught accurately. And we pray, Lord, that people would hear the gospel and be saved. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have provided. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. And um, Pam, do you have, um, you are a question person. Do you have a question for us today or (laughs) some stats? Yeah, we did not have any questions this week, um, but I did do some research on questions that people ask, and I thought it was interesting that there are approximately 63,000 Google searches every second. We have 5.6 billion searches per day on Google. So it's curious. I was curious to know what is really in the hearts and minds of people um, theologically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And it came up with um, the top questions that people ask on Google. The first one is, what is the Bible? Hmm. Who is Jesus? What is the church? Who is God? What is Christian? Hmm. What is a Christian? Um, it goes down the line, asks about heaven, sin, hell. What is the gospel? What is salvation? What is prayer? What does God look like? And what is the fear of God? I thought those are really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, That those were Google searches. um, And so on our on-demand stats, I went through and found out that even though we play live, we do the program, that people can go back and listen to whatever one. The one that was listened to the most in March was do all roads lead to heaven. Hmm. Our second one was um, we started Ephesians and the other largest one was past times. And we went through um, the dispensation and the timeline with those questions. Yeah. Hmm. And one of them was the will of God. What was the will of God? So I thought those were pretty interesting of what people are searching for. Yeah. um, Even just on our program alone. Um, And also in one of the communist um, countries, on two of them, we've doubled just in this month. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's, um, encouraging to hear. Um, And also if uh, when they're listening um, to that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if if, um, our listeners that are on our Facebook live, um, if they share share some of those with their Facebook friends. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another way for um, our Facebook live listeners to share the word of God. 
yes. and then they don't know who they're going to bless. That somebody that needed to um, yeah. see that. Yeah, and it's not for our profit; it's for their yeah. profit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found out that the whole the Holy Spirit does lead you. Um, let's say you're watching um, a sermon or you're listening to a Bible study, and you do feel the Holy Spirit just guiding, directing, saying, "Why don't you share that with somebody?" Mm-hmm. You kind of humanly we think, "Oh, I don't know, you know what they feel yeah. like, or I should share that." But there's a reason why God knows, and God wants you to share. There's friends; all of us have friends we don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know your friends, you know. So sharing something on Facebook does um, provide the gospel, which we try to share the gospel in, at yeah. the end of each segment. Yeah. So we are um, in the book of Ephesians, mm-hmm. and we're starting uh, Ephesians six, verse ten and eleven. I'll go ahead and read those two, and then we'll turn it over to David. Okay. And this the warrior's armor and resource. And um, we are going to go through the armor of God. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Thank you, Pam. So verse 11 says to put on the whole armor of God. In Ephesians, Paul is writing to saved people. So he's telling people that are already saved, they need to put on the armor of God. The reason I'm emphasizing this point is people sometimes have the idea that the armor of God is something that the believer automatically has by virtue of being saved. So, for example, the breastplate of righteousness, some would say, well, you already have that because you're saved. You've been made righteous in Christ. But that just isn't so. If you already had the breastplate of righteousness on Scripture wouldn't command you to put it on. Obviously, it's something you have to choose to do. If you look at the last part of verse 11, it says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, the devil has tricks. What Ephesians 6.11 tells us, this will be helpful for the rest of the chapter, is we have to put on the armor of God daily. We have to do this as as an ongoing intentional thing because of the devil's tricks, because of the devil's deceptions. It's not something that, uh, you know, this is not something that it's okay to skip. We need the armor as a defensive mechanism. And if we don't put it on, we will be vulnerable to what the adversary is trying to do. So let's go ahead and go to verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So verse 12 tells us our adversaries. It's not other human beings. It's not lost people on the earth. Our adversaries are described as spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, it's it's Satan and his devils. They are our adversaries. If you look with me at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
We saw in verse 11 that Satan has wiles. He has tricks. Well, what do those tricks do? Those tricks are designed to keep people from believing the gospel. Obviously, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So what Satan does is he tries to prevent people from seeing it and believing it. He, he, he preaches false doctrine. He tries to corrupt the gospel. What all this tells you is that the struggle is not a physical struggle. It's a spiritual struggle. It's an intellectual struggle between the truth and error. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The key thing to take there is our thought life matters. It matters what we think about. It matters what we dwell on. It matters what we memorize. Uh, that's, that's where the battle is. And Paul talked about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What this means for the believer is that we need to be intentional about what we put into our minds. We need to be intentional about what information we consume, what we study, what we memorize, what we think. Let's look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the day, in the evil day, and having done all to stand. The idea of withstanding is to endure the attacks. The attacks are going to come. You know, the, the attacks aren't, they're, they're not going to not happen. In other words, they will occur. The issue is not whether the attacks will occur. The issue is how are we going to withstand them? Are we going to be able to cope with them? Are we prepared or are we not? Well, that's why we need to put on the whole armor of God. We put on the whole armor of God so that when the attacks come, we will be able to resist them. What verse 13 talks about is withstanding in the evil day. Ephesians 5.16, the prior chapter, says this, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So the days that we live in, what are they according to Scripture? They're evil. evil. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 if you wake up tomorrow and you have a bad day, I mean, I hope you have a great day, but I'm just going to be honest with you, you're going to have a lot of bad days. And you're going to have a lot of bad days because the days are evil because we're on a sin-cursed earth and Satan is the God of this world. So what do we have to do? Well, what we have to do is we have to redeem the time. Recognizing the fact that the days are going to be evil, we need to make some choices about how we redeem the time, about how we spend it profitably. Let's do verse 14. 614, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having your breastplate of righteousness. So our loins are girt with truth. In other words, truth is like a belt. And the purpose of a belt, of course, is to make your clothing secure because you're going to move, right? I mean, that, that's mm -hmm. what a belt does. It makes things secure. It holds them together. And what we're told here is that our loins need to be girt with truth. So it's, it's, I think it's a significant fact that the first thing that is mentioned as the armor is truth. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah for that. Mm -hmm. In other words, we don't have to worry that we are on the side of make-believe or propaganda or fakery. No, we're on the side of truth because 
John 17, 17, thy word is truth. So one of the things that we can always know is we are on the right side of history. The body of Christ is going to win. The body of Christ is going to be in the heavenlies with Christ for all eternity. Anything between now and then is at worst noise, right? I mean, it may be speed bumps along the way. It could be evil days, but we're going to win because we're on the side of truth. Now, the next piece of armor mentioned in verse 14 is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness is also mentioned in Isaiah 59, 17. So let me just read that. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we know that that the revelation given to Paul was a mystery. So it's sort of intriguing here that, that... the, there's a breastplate of righteousness also in Isaiah 59. What I want to cover next is this. Some people, when they look at the armor, they, they sort of teach it the following way. They will say, there's a breastplate of righteousness, and the breastplate protects your heart, protects your vital organs. And so righteousness is a protectant for your heart, for your vital organs in the, you know, in the center of your chest. And they will make, if you will, what I would call like physical applications. So the breastplate of righteousness protects the chest and the, the helmet, the hope of salvation protects the mind. And so they, they do things like that. But notice with me 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober. Now notice this carefully, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. Well, wait a minute. Ephesians 6.14 just told us about the breastplate of righteousness, but 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 talks about the breastplate of faith and love. Now, has anyone ever seen a coat of armor? Can you wear two breastplates? I mean, you, you really can't. I mean, it's hard enough wearing one. It would be overwhelming to wear two of them. So, which is it? Uh, does Is scripture contradicting itself? What's going on here? Well, what I would tell you what these verses are telling us is it's a mistake in looking at the armor of God and saying, breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness protects specifically the heart and only the heart, right? In other words, does the breastplate protect your arms? Does the breastplate protect your feet? No, it doesn't. It only protects the chest. That's why it's called what it's called. But I think it's a mistake to view things that way for the simple reason that there's more than one breastplate. And the idea here is that, uh, I would suggest, is that these different items that are mentioned are necessary to put on so that you have the full armor of God, that you have it complete. Because, of course, if you don't put on one one part of the armor, what will happen? You'll have a vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I would be hesitant to make the application and say, this part of the armor protects only this part of the body. I don't think I would do that mm-hmm. because that's not the way the metaphors are set up, right? There, there's the, the breastplate is describing things, which I think prevents the sort of specific application that people sometimes want to make. Mm-hmm. Let's do verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparations of the gospel of peace. So Romans 10, verse 15, and how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach 
the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So it describes here the feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so the gospel is an essential part of the armor. And it's, it's described here as the gospel of peace. Uh, the, the gospel should never be something that is far from us, right? It should be part of our, our daily life. Um, so the gospel peace obviously is critically important. Let's do verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So the, the shield is described as the shield of faith, and it's specifically described as something that shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So let's pause there and make the obvious observation. Guess what the adversary is doing? He's shooting fiery darts at you. Uh, one of the things that, that you need to know is simply this. Is Satan make-believe? right? If you take surveys, a lot of people don't believe in the devil. The -hmm. devil's a mythological figure, right? I mean, do you really believe in a guy that wears a cape and has a pitchfork and has horns? Or that's just make-believe. That's all just fake stuff. Well, no, there's a real devil. Um, There is. And is there real attack against the body of Christ? There is. And those fiery darts, they're not physical, but they are real, mm-hmm. right? In other words, something doesn't have to be physical to be real. You, you, you do know that, of course. So what happens is the body of Christ is being shot at by the adversary and being shot at with fiery darts. So let me ask you this. How many fiery darts would you like to be hit with? Half a dozen, three or four, a couple? The answer obviously is none. So what is your protection against that? Well, your protection against that is faith. It's obviously belief. Now, when you think about faith, Romans 10, 17 is very helpful. Now, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All true faith is based upon the word of God. A lot of times when people use the word faith, what they really mean is, I'm going to go do this thing and I hope it works out, you know, cross my fingers, right? Mm-hmm. That that's not faith. Faith always and only comes from the Word of God. In other words, what it's doing is it's studying the Word of God, finding a verse, and believing that verse. Too many times what people do is they believe stuff they want to believe. That's not faith. Faith is when you believe a verse. Let's do verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we see the helmet of salvation. And I read a little bit in Isaiah fifty nine seventeen just a moment ago, but now I'm going to read the whole verse. Isaiah fifty nine seventeen, For he put on righteousness as a breast and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Now, let's also look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith of love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. 
Now, this is interesting. The two prior verses describe the helmet as the helmet of salvation. And verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians 5 calls it the helmet, the hope of salvation. So let's talk about what that is just for a minute. The moment you believe the gospel, that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, the moment you trust the blood that Jesus Christ shed for you, you are in that instant saved forever, cannot lose it. That being said, you still have a hope uh, that scripture specifically describes. And look with me at Titus 2, verse 13, Titus 2, 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What's described as the believer's hope is what's commonly called the rapture. In other words, let me put it in simplest terms. Do you ever have bad days because the days are evil? And the answer is you do. Mm -hmm. And I have them as well. Um, That's life on this earth. Well, we have a hope, and that hope is that we're going to be delivered from this earth. We're not going to be on this earth, uh, on this sin-cursed earth forever, right? It's only for a brief period of time, and then we're going to be delivered from it. So when it talks about a helmet, the hope of salvation, that's not the idea of you put on the, the helmet and you'll be saved from hell. Ephesians is written to believers. Believers were saved from hell the moment they believed the gospel. The hope of salvation is the idea you can live life, including the bleak moments of life. The the, the moments where earthly circumstances are terrible, you can have in your mind the idea, I am looking, not at my circumstances, I am looking at the blessed hope. I know that the Lord Jesus Christ will return. He will receive me unto himself at the rapture. I'll receive a new body. I have an eternal position in the heavenlies. That hope allows you to get through, can I say it, the garbage of Mm day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. Are are there problems on a daily basis on this earth? I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there's just tons of them. How do you get through them? Well, you get through them because you have the hope. You have the confidence This isn't the way eternity is. This is just for a short time, and we're going to then be in a position of eternal blessedness with the Lord. So I don't look for, you know, more days on earth. (laughs) I look for the blessed hope when the Lord's going to deliver me from all of this. Maybe you could interpret interpret hope as being promise, a promise or whatever. Yeah, we're, we're going to be delivered from something, right? Yeah. Uh, scripture says hope that is seen is not hope. Um, the, the, the point being that you, we don't have it yet, but we're going to. Mm-hmm. We know it's going to happen because the Lord is faithful to his word. And if he said it, it's going to happen. Now, the first part of verse 17 was the helmet of salvation. Let's look at the second part, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Up till now, in looking at the armor, it has been defensive, right? A a breastplate and a helmet and a shield. Now we're going to see what is offensive. And what is offensive here is the sword of the spirit. And what what is the sword of the spirit? Well, it's defined for us, which is the word of God. The most powerful weapon in the believer's arsenal is the word of God. It's not the philosophical arguments of men. Uh, 
It's not archaeological proofs. It's not man's reasoning. It is the Word of God. Sometimes people talk about apologetics. Are apologetics helpful in showing people the truth? My personal opinion is this. I, I, I like apologetics. I have benefited from apologetics, but there is nothing more powerful than the Word of God. There is nothing more powerful than thus saith the Lord. And so, as, as we go about our warfare, as we wrestle against principalities and powers, what is the offensive weapon we have? It is the Word of God. If you think about when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan mm-hmm. in the wilderness in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, what did he do? He He's quoted the Word of God, the word of God mm-hmm. right? So Satan would tempt him, and, and Satan would basically misuse a verse of the Old Testament, which is fascinating because what that tells you is Satan knew the relevant most powerful thing was the word of God. So he tried to corrupt it for his ends. He didn't just say, well, I'm Satan and my opinion is such and such, which would have been totally pointless. He tried to leverage the authority of the word of God, but he did so in a corrupt way. And the Lord corrected him using the word of God. Well, we should follow the Lord's example. The the most powerful weapon we have, the, 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 the only real weapon we have, of course, is uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It, it, it's reminiscent of Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, Hebrews four twelve. for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's sharp. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me just pause there. You know, Steel blades that men make can cut physical things. You know, they can cut the flesh and they can cut bone and they can cut other physical things. But the word of God is so powerful. It, it's so sharp that it can cut immaterial things, right? Mm-hmm. It can uh, di- divide asunder between soul and spirit. And it can also, notice this, turn the thoughts and intents of the heart. One of the things that's sometimes said is, People don't read the Word of God because the Word of God reads them. See, what happens with the Word of God is it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look with me at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, here's what happens so often in human affairs. People say things, words come out of their mouth but you don't know what's really in their mind. You don't know what they're really thinking. You don't know what they're really purposing. And if you've lived for any per- any length of time, you realize you can't believe everything that people say, right? I mean, that's just life true. on earth. But what does Hebrews 4 tell you God's word does? It discerns people's inner man. There's there's nothing, if you think you're, you, you may be clever enough to hide things from other men. You may be able to conceal that, but you can't conceal them from the word of God. And verse 13 describes it as, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Well, what happens if you have a guilty conscience and you read the word of God? How are you going to feel if you're naked? How did Adam and Eve feel when they were naked? Well, they they fled. They avoided God, right? Mm -hmm. They they were naked. They knew they were naked. They were ashamed. And they said, we're going to hide from him. Well, that's how people behave with the Word of God. Now, what the proper response is this. You should read the Word of God, and when it convicts you, 
it also points you to the solution. The solution is Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. Any guilt that we feel can be addressed. It can be resolved because Christ died for our sins. Mm -hmm. What happens, unfortunately, is that sometimes people react to the Word of God, and instead of accepting the provision, the solution, the blood Mm -hmm. of Christ, they reject it. And when they reject it, they're going to have a negative attitude toward the Word of God because what does it do? It lays them naked and open. It discerns the thoughts and intents of their heart. And so, of course, they avoid it. So let's tie together what we've seen about the armor so far. What the armor is about is it's the things that the believer needs to do daily and consciously. In other words, it's intentional. When it says put on the armor of God, you have to do it. You have to choose. And you have to put these things, I would suggest, into your mind to protect against the attacks of the enemy. So the attacks of the enemy, we've already seen their wiles, their tricks, their their, their deceit. Well, deceit operates at the mind level, right? In other words, it's trying to deceive you as to what to properly think. So what is our response? Well, our response is to prepare and defend against that. By the way, if you, if you know you're going into battle, what do you do? You put the armor on beforehand. You don't wait till you're in the battle to put it on. You put it on in advance. You, you, you prepare. Remember when it said your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, that, that's, that's advanced planning. That's, that's yeah, doing right. something beforehand. So when we, we look at the armor, then here's what we saw. We saw that the, the, the loins were girt. That's a belt with truth. We saw there's a breastplate, which is righteousness. And then also faith and love the, the shoes, the feet were shod with the gospel of peace. The shield was of faith. The helmet was the hope of salvation. The sword was the word of God. And so what we need to do in our, in our, in our minds, and, and we know that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, is we need to have things that are like truth and righteousness and faith and love and peace and faith and the hope of salvation and the word of God. That's what the believer's armor is. That's what we need to put in our minds. So let me make one further point before we move on. I'm going to suggest to you why the church is so weak. What if you did this? You said, here's what I'm going to do. My diet is going to be 98% Cheetos and 2% celery, right? Or 2% kale. Pick whatever you think is the healthiest vegetable and you'll eat 2% kale and 98% Cheetos. Well, the 2% kale will be great. I mean, that'll, that'll help you. But the 98% Cheetos will not. And what is the overall outcome of that diet? Yeah. It's garbage, mm-hmm. right? Fingers. I mean, it's going to be, yeah, you're not going to be able to type. It'll be, it'll be messy. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's destined for failure, isn't it? And, and the reason why is the proportions are wrong, right? You, you right. can't have a diet of 98% Cheetos and hope to be healthy. You just can't. Well, what do you, let's be honest with you. What happens in most believers' life? How much of their hours, you have 168 hours a week. We all have the same amount, right? How much of that is spent in the word of God and sound doctrine? And how much of that is spent in worldly thinking, whether it's news, the internet, magazines, Facebook, Mm -hmm. so on. If you add up all those sources of information, how much of that is from the Holy Spirit and how much of it is not? Well, if the vast majority of what you consume is man's wisdom, 
as opposed to God's wisdom, guess how you're going to think? Guess how your spiritual life is going to function? It's going to function at, at the same way your physical life would if you ate 90% Cheetos. So, I, I, you know, I like Cheetos, um, but, you know, if I ate 98% of my diet was Cheetos, it wouldn't do me any good. You, you see right. the point. Yeah. So we, we have to be intentional about these things. We have to make some choices as to what we spend our time on, and we have to make some choices about what we put into our mind. And putting the armor, uh, put it, putting on the whole armor of God, I believe, refers to that information which we put in our in our mind, in our, in our way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So let's do verse eighteen. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all preser- uh, preservation. Yeah, perseverance. Perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, this is a verse I want to touch on because I think this is often misunderstood. When it says praying always with all prayer, some people will say what you need to do is you need to pray every moment of the day, 24-7, 365, and you should be in a constant state of prayer. And the reason I don't like that teaching is that what it does is it redefines prayer. Because then what prayer becomes is it becomes this passive background mental state because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you, you can't spend all of your day in prayer. You can't, right? You've got to spend some of that time thinking about your job and thinking about the groceries you need to buy and thinking about the other things that are just parts of life. And when people say you should pray 24-7, 365, in, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, they're making prayer a passive activity that you sort of just, mm-hmm. you, it's something you do as, as, in a way that you're distracted. You remember how there was a big for, uh, a big theme of multitasking, and I'm going to mm-hmm. work on two things at once? You decide for yourself. I think multitasking is a terrible idea. I don't want my heart surgeon multitasking. I want him to be 100% focused on what he's doing at the moment right? Mm-hmm. What is distracted driving? Distracted driving is I'm not fully paying attention to this two-ton vehicle I'm driving at 60 miles an hour. I'm half paying attention to it while I'm doing something else. Is that prudent? I mean, that's just not wise. When you're doing something, you should give it your full attention so that you do it properly. So look with me at Colossians 1 verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And if you search the different verses that talk about um, not ceasing to pray, Paul will not cease to pray for multiple people, which tells you that he's not praying for them every second of every day. But what he's saying is, I prayed for you on today. And then I prayed for you tomorrow, and then I prayed for you the next day, and I didn't quit, right? I didn't abandon the practice of prayer, but he's not saying that I prayed for you every moment mm-hmm. of every day, okay? Now, the thing here about praying here, let me just say this before we move on then. God has designed prayer as something that operates in our lives. People sometimes think about prayer and they say, well, how does it work, right? Because God knows what I'm going to pray before I pray it. So does it really do anything? And they sort of get in this mental state where they can't figure out why it does anything. And so they just quit because what's the point? It's pointless. Well, God commands us to do it. And he doesn't command us to do things that are pointless. And by the way, you don't have to... understand 
every aspect of the Word of God in order to obey the Word of God. Mm -hmm. If God tells us to do something, we should do it, even if we don't fully understand it. Because guess what? Our understanding is limited. We don't have full understanding. We only have partial understanding. If you wait till you have full understanding to obey something, you're not going to obey any part of the Word of God because you're not going to have complete understanding. You're just not. You're a limited creature. So just a word of encouragement about prayer. We need to continue in prayer. We're commanded to do that, and we need to not abandon it as, as many folks often do. Let's do verse 19. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So, Paul talks about making known the mystery, and of course, we know that was the hidden wisdom that was given to him. And he says something similar in Colossians 4, verse 3, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. So Paul prayed for doors of utterance. He prayed for opportunities to speak. And the idea is that as we go through life, we will have doors of opportunity where we can speak the gospel, where we can tell people about the Bible. Paul uses in verse 19 the adverb boldly. He doesn't say rudely. He doesn't say in a sarcastic manner. But the idea is that it's set forth plainly. Mm-hmm. In other words, he tells them what they need to hear. The point simply is this, lost people need to hear the gospel. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Well, if the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, we need to be telling people it. So Mm -hmm. I'll pause there. And um, yeah, so um, uh, definitely that's that's also encouraging to know, um, you know, especially when you were talking about the prayer, you know, how... You know, some people, you know, if, and that's, of course, putting rules on, you know, how often you have to pray. Um, so that's um, uh, good things to, to know. So it's very good information. Um, and we're going to come back. We're going to finish with Ephesians uh, right after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
what's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and welcome back i'm your host michelle mix i'm your host uh, michael mix i'm your host pm lampton and i'm your host david reed all right, and, and David, uh, looks like we're at Ephesians 6.20. Perfect. Would someone read verse 20? I will read it. Um, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, if we take verse 19 and we put it together with verse 20, in verse 19, what Paul said is that at the end of the verse, to make known the mystery of the gospel and then he said, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. So why was Paul in bonds? Why was he in prison? Well, it was because of the gospel. Uh, here's what happens. I'm just going to be just blunt about it. What, what happens so often in life is we think about, well, if I tell this person the truth, if I tell them the gospel, if I tell them about this Bible truth that they need to hear, how will they react? What will they think of me? what will be the consequence? Well, what Paul's sharing there in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20 is that when he made known the gospel, there was a real cost to him, wasn't there? Mm -hmm. He was put in bonds. He suffered as a result of that. When Paul arrives in eternity, is he going to think, you know, wish I hadn't said that because even though it was the truth and even though it's what they needed to hear, they put me in bonds for a brief moment of time and gee, I wish I hadn't done that. Or will he rejoice because he will have done the right thing and he will be rewarded for it at the judgment seat of Christ for all eternity? Well, it's going to be the latter. Right. My, my point is this, the, the way that we need to think about life, and I certainly am not saying I do this perfectly because I don't. Um, what happens as a preacher is when you preach the word of God, you, you, you preach the truth of it knowing that you yourself fail it in so many ways. And it's not to excuse the failures, but it's the reality of being a sinful person preaching the gospel, right? The gospel is pure. The word of God is pure, but our own performance is, is not what it needs to be. Just being honest with you. So Ephesians 6.20, what this tells us is just do the right thing. You know, in other words, as you preach the gospel, as you stand for the truth, are there, are there going to be people that don't like this, this internet radio program? Yeah, they, they won't. Um, but the, the truth needs to be spoken because people need to hear it because if they don't hear and believe the gospel, they go to an eternal lake of fire. And so it's a much more severe thing than possibly hurting someone's feelings about what they're hearing. So just an, a word of encouragement that we all need to follow Paul's example, and we need to make known the mystery of the gospel, and there may be a cost, and if there is, praise the Lord. 
that's okay. It'll be all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if I would to jump in there is, um, I think also when you're saying that, you know, people have a hard time sharing, and if if we share how rightly dividing the Word of God and um, talking about the dispensation, uh, we'll worry, if they worry about, am I going to offend somebody? But we can't worry about that, because we're, we're talking about their souls and where they're going to spend eternity. So, yeah, I think I'd rather, um, you know, if it offends somebody, it offends, but mm-hmm. I did my job, you know, that I'm commissioned to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Paul calls it, if I'm not mistaken, the offense of the cross. And uh, some will be offended. And, you know, we don't mean to offend, but the truth sometimes does that. Mm-hmm. Let's do verses 21 and 22. Okay. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do the Tychicus, 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 a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. I'm going to make a point here that I hope will be helpful to you. If you look at Colossians 4, verses 7 and 8, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. Colossians 4, 7, and 8 is very similar to Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. What we can see is that Tychicus was a courier. He was a, a messenger that Paul used on multiple occasions. In Ephesians, obviously, Tychicus is delivering something to the church at Ephesus. In Colossians, he's delivering something to the church at Colossae. Look with me at 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. Paul says, And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus. Well, it seems to me in 2 Timothy 4, 12, when Paul says, Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, I think that's a reference to Paul sending Tychicus to Ephesus to deliver the book of Ephesians. It just seems to fit perfectly because we know from Ephesians 6 that Tychicus was the courier of Ephesians. Uh, What that also suggests in my mind is that Colossians must have been written before Ephesians because Tychicus delivered Colossians to the Colossians. He delivered Ephesians to the Ephesians. Well, the, the one that he delivered to the Ephesians, he seems to have done right before 2 Timothy, which is clearly Paul's last letter. My point in telling you all that is simply this. As you read through some of Paul's epistles, you'll see some things at the end where Paul has some sort of biographical information, right? He'll talk about different brothers, and he'll talk about, you know, salute this person and salute the church which is in their house, and he'll talk about he sent this person here and he did this and that. And you might be tempted to say, well, Paul, this is just like minutia. You know, this is just sort of trivia, right? This doesn't really matter. And I'd encourage you not to think that way, because these little details help you understand lots of things about what was going on with the churches. It helps you understand the timing of when things are written. Uh, and, And I would just say as a general matter, God is a wise God. He doesn't have any verses that are irrelevant. He doesn't have any verses that are just, well, this is, there's no point to this, but it's just, you know, interesting minutia, mm-hmm. so I'll include it. It doesn't work that way. Everything in the Word of God is significant. Everything in the Word of God is true. Everything in the Word of God is informative. If it doesn't seem informative, then our thinking is wrong, right? If you ever look at a verse and then you think the verse, well, gee, there's no point to this verse, 
spoiler, the problem is not with the verse. The problem is with our thinking. So what it really tells us is there must be something drastically wrong with my thinking because I don't see the value in this verse. So I better study and read more till I get greater clarity. Mm-hmm. Let's do verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So we see here how Paul closes the letter to the Ephesians. And I want to just read to you some other ways that he closes his letters. Romans 16, 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 1 Corinthians 16, 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Similar, but not the same. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Galatians 6, 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Well, which one of those is right? Well, they're all right. Mm Mm-hmm. And my point in telling you that is sometimes we get tied up in what I'll call ritual and we think, well, there's one way to say this. You know, here's the right way to say this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, period. Paul says it different ways, Mm -hmm. which tells you there's no specific incantation. There's no specific formula. It is the substance that's being said. You follow me? It's, it's, Mm -hmm. It's the content. And so I think it's a helpful thing to notice that with the way that Paul closes Ephesians. So what we've seen in Ephesians, if I could just sum it briefly, is this, is this. We've seen in Ephesians some of the blessings that God has given to the body of Christ. It's an important epistle because it, it explains the mystery blessings we have, and it helps explain our standing, our position in Jesus Christ. So I would encourage you just to re- review the, the book and, and study it further because there's a lot in there that encourages the believer. So I want to now turn briefly and just talk about the gospel just for a minute. We've gotten into some deep studies on this program, and that's because we value the Word of God, and the Word of God is important. But 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 make no mistake, the most important thing is to understand the gospel. And the gospel is Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Because of our sins, we deserve to go to hell. We deserve to be in the lake of fire for eternity. But praise the Lord, Jesus Christ, God's own son, shed his blood on the cross for our sins, that we can have eternal life as a free gift by having faith in his blood. Mm-hmm. And so, friends, I would just ask you, if, if you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ before, if you've never trusted the blood he shed for your sins, I would encourage you, I would ask you, I would pray you to do that today, to not wait. Uh, because that's the dividing line between heaven and hell. And so you just have to get that. So I'll pause there. And um, we're going to just wrap, start to wrap up the program. We've got a couple things we need to cover. I'll start, but maybe uh, some other folks will want to chime in. And uh, so we've concluded our study in Ephesians. And this is a convenient time for me to uh, wrap up my involvement in the program. And so I'm not going to be on future episodes. And the reason why is I just have some some other ministry matters and personal matters I have to attend to. I have some constraints on my calendar that I have to address. But I wanted to, to say this. I wanted to thank Michael and Michelle and Pam and 14th Street Ministries because they've been really gracious and kind in allowing to me, me to be part of the program. And I, it's been a blessing to me. 
And so uh, I just am really thankful and I wanted to say that. And I really uh, look forward to watching this ministry continue. And I, I, I rejoice in the fact that it reaches people overseas and it reaches people in, in communist countries. And I rejoice in the fact that you stand for the Bible, the King James Version, for the gospel, you stand for right division. And so um, just, I want to say thank you. And I, I, I really uh, applaud and sort of um, really appreciate it. So I'll just pause there and say thank you. Yeah, we uh, appreciate you uh, taking this journey with us through mm-hmm. Ephesians. Uh, a lot of information, a lot of um, uh, soul building, um, a lot of things that uh, we need to continue studying. And uh, one thing we really want to do is is never give out false information or information that's not uh, doctrinally sound. And uh, we pray that we don't do that. And, and we and uh, David, we really appreciate you being with us. Mm-hmm. Our pleasure, our honor. Uh, it's, it's been a great blessing. And so thank you for that. And uh, we know that um, God brings uh, people into our lives and uh, into our ministry, um, you know, for a season. A season when, you know, we get the opportunity um, also to learn. Uh, so you you brought so much information for us uh, these past months that you um, you know were speaking with us on the program. So we really appreciate that, and I definitely learned learned a lot. And I appreciate the word that you brought, teaching us how to rightly divide um, the word of God, uh, what verses, what versions to use, and why we do. And it's not just you know we we just do this. You gave us the reason. So I appreciate this season, the blessings that mm-hmm. um, 14th Street Ministry had having you uh, join us. Yes, Thank it was you. true it's blessing. Time. Yes. Everything was very relevant. And as you um, taught, you applied everything to different um, aspects in our lives. And I do think that we ha- we do live through seasons in our lives um, where God uses people and uses everybody to um, sharpen the sword and to mm-hmm. encourage each other of the knowledge that we have in each of us, um, but also separates so we can serve in broader ways. Mm-hmm. So we yes. will miss you and yes. we I'll pray you for your ministries and um, you have given your ministries out to a lot of our listeners and, and I do hope that they, listen to you during the week and follow your ministry as well. Yeah, he can give that out again, uh, how to, yeah, to how follow. to find you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Columbus Bible church.org or Columbus Bible church on YouTube. And i um, really excited to see your ministry continue to grow and to see you continue to stand for great things. And, you know, there's plenty of work to be done. So we're going to be doing ours. You're going to be doing yours. And uh, we rejoice wow. in what you're going to do. We're one working body. for one goal. Yeah. Yep. Amen. And next week, um, we're going to start a new um, series. Uh, we're going to be talking about the ambassadorship uh, with Second um, Corinthians 5 that we're going to be working through. And it's um, going to start teaching about the responsibilities of being an ambassador for Christ. So, David, we definitely appreciate um, everything that you brought uh, for us at 14th Street Ministries. And uh, so everybody continue to listen. We're going to start on a new journey next week. Um, And thank you for uh, joining us today.
and have a great week. We'll see you next week. Maranatha. You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. Yeah.